This is Daniel Fragella, and you're listening to the AI and Business Podcast. This is our second episode in this end-of-the-year Tuesday series on building successful AI teams. Our last episode was with Mazine Gilbert of Google, and today we're speaking with Carolyn Gorski of Rolls-Royce. She heads up the R-Squared factory at Rolls-Royce. This is a company that's over a century old. This is a company that works on big, heavy equipment. And R-Squared Factory is sort of a spinoff of Rolls-Royce that sort of operates in its own way. Carolyn speaks about the benefits of being able to create kind of a separate experimentation-first culture within a big enterprise. Many of you listening in today are either working within large established enterprises or as a consultant, maybe you work with them. Many companies are not ready for the kind of R&D mindset that AI requires But is it possible to be able to create kind of a subculture in a specific place that can do innovation, that can have people feel brave enough to innovate and to experiment and be able to cross the chasm and get that stuff into the legacy business? Again, easier said than done, but Carolyn has hands-on experience seeing this work in person. She talks about some of the important factors, not only for how to set up that culture, but how to hire for that culture. Who are we looking for that's going to operate well in terms of being able to innovate within a large company where innovation maybe is not exactly the first thing everybody is thinking about? There might be kind of ways that we do things, but changing that is critical. Obviously, the cultural barrier for AI is massive, and Carolyn has some great insights for breaking through it. Hope you enjoy this episode. Again, this is episode two of a four-episode series all the way through the end of December. Every Tuesday, we're covering success with AI teams. So enjoy this one. This is Carolyn with Rolls-Royce here on the AI and Business Podcast. So Caroline, glad to have you back on the program. Hi, Dan. Nice to talk to you. Today, we are talking about teams. You happen to work on a pretty cool crack team over there at Rolls-Royce in the AI domain. And a lot of enterprises are kind of newer to this. They're just getting into building and retaining effective AI talent and having AI teams work together well. When you think about the most important things for business leaders to know about hiring and retaining great AI talent and building those winning AI teams, what are some of the things that come to mind for you? So I started building up Rolls-Royce's AI capability from about 2017, 2018. And, and we began that journey by, by forming an internal department called R Squared Data Labs. And since then, at the beginning of last year, we have taken the step of hiving off part of R Squared Data Labs and actually launching it into the market as a, as a standalone market-facing business called the R Squared Factory. And so at the moment, I am still the group director of R Squared Data Labs inside Rolls-Royce, but I'm also the CEO of the R Squared Factory. And the reason I mention that is because there's some things that are common across those two experiences and there are some things that are different. The biggest and most important thing that's common across those two experiences is the fact that we gave the data science community its own identity. So even back when we were inside Rolls-Royce just answering Rolls-Royce problems, we were called R Squared Data Labs. We were called something different to, to kind of the Rolls-Royce parent identity. And that's really important because most of the data science community are interested predominantly in the quality of the problems that they get the chance to explore rather than necessarily being attached to a you know a kind of big brand name or or even to to the kind of 
trappings of corporate life you know the kind of holiday packages and the pension schemes and the healthcare benefits and all of those sorts of things they're important but they're, they're not why they take a job they take a job because of the quality of the problems and in order to be able to get really deeply into high quality problems you need to have a sense of team you need to have a sense of belonging you need to have a sense of differentness you need to always be able to take that position of the curious questioner you know the the person who can who can look at a problem and go okay but why does it work that way that you know where is the data where is the evidence where are the patterns and so i think that separate identity however you go about doing it whether you rebrand your team or whether you just simply give them a sense of belonging to each other i think that separate identity is really important when we were r squared data labs we called that the license to do things differently ah. um, in the R squared factory, we describe ourselves as punks, geeks, and super freaks. And that's a really deliberate choice. How British of you. <laughs> <laughs> if only if only our listeners could see your glasses right now. They would they would yeah. know they would know the level of, of punk that you are. I don't know what that much about style, but either way, you know, okay, I'm definitely it. chief punk. <laughs> so I was gonna say it seems like you had a bit of a personal voice in that one. So this really is about it sounds like there's a very salient point, if I'm hearing you correctly, and we can make this clear for the listeners, that we're not gonna maybe attract people with the same sorts of eh, not in a bad way, but run of the mill sort of enterprise benefits sort of appeal that maybe I don't know if we want to say your average role would be filled by. We really do want to carve out a space where people feel like, hey, this is a space for people like me. This is a space where we're going to be moving quickly. This is a space that's built around problem sets that we can actually take action on. So there's a bit of a, am I going to fit in here factor? And then there's also a bit of, am I going to be able to do cool stuff factor? Am I nutshelling that well? Are there other things you want to add? Yeah, no, that's a really great summary. And and I would say the other thing to bear in mind is that data scientists, they're brilliant and they're wonderful, but they like hard problems. And if you, even if you give them really hard problems, their attention span can be relatively short compared to the average corporate attention span. So if you think about somebody joining a you know a big corporate and wanting to build a 10-year career or or you know maybe even a longer career depending on where they are, you know most data scientists they know how in demand their skills are. You know if if they're coming to work with you, if you're going to get 3 to 5 years out of that relationship with them, you're going to be doing an outstanding job. And to get three to five years mutually beneficial relationship, you need to be presenting really high quality problems. Got it. So, okay. So, and making that clear is really critical. You know, we've sort of heard this idea of solving important problems as a big deal in other interviews about building teams. I wonder what that looks like in practice. In other words, you know, any business working in any space, whether it's, you know, the restaurant industry or you name it. You know, they're working on something interesting and bespoke, but being able to convey that is actually appealing. It does feel like an art form to me, Carolyn, because I'm sure some people could frame Rolls-Royce's day-to-day problems as like, you know, kind of monotonous, big enterprise stuff. And somebody else could frame it as unique, important, powerful, impactful. Is there like almost slide material we need to think about? You know, some kind of a running list of our major project categories and the real impact that they make financially. How do we convey hey, you're applying to a lot of jobs, but this is a place where the, the the problems matter and the impact is real. Feels important to almost really sell that here. How the heck is that conveyed? Yeah, I mean, so there's no, I mean, think about who you're competing with is what I would say. I mean, it's absolutely no surprise that the 
big tech organizations who you know are the are the mark brand names when when data scientists think about where they might want to go they all have extremely strong value-led propositions about what their businesses do. You, you can be skeptical and, you know, you can question whether or not they live up to those value propositions, but they are all value proposition-led businesses. They say, this is the difference we want to make in the world. Come and help us do that. Oh, and by the way, you know, our market capitalization is in the billions and, you know, we'll pay you in great stock options and you'll yes, be yes. You know, able to re- retire at 27 and live on the high life. I'm joking. But fundamentally, first and foremost, they are value-led organizations. And I think for traditional businesses who want to compete, you need to be able to articulate what your value proposition is, not your value proposition to the employee, although that's also important, but your value proposition to the world. Why is coming to help you solve your problems, answer your questions? Why is that actually going to make a difference in the world. So in the case of Rolls-Royce, you know, that's actually quite straightforward. There are only a handful of companies in this world who can actively help to solve the problem of how do we move to net zero. Rolls-Royce is one of them. So when I talk to data scientists about coming to look at problems that Rolls-Royce is interested in engaging with, I'm saying, help us move one of the hardest to decarbonize industries to a net zero position. Yeah. So there's, you got to basically ask the question, I suppose in business companies and leaders ask themselves, what are we best at? In the hiring standpoint, you know, what do we have the biggest opportunity to impact or what, what, what are, what do we have the biggest lever in our hands to sort of do? And obviously for you guys, you've just done a great job putting yours into a nutshell. I think for our listeners, they need to think about theirs. They need to think about um, what can you do? And obviously in, in your case, Carolyn, there really was kind of that, you know, ethical, you know, environmental appeal. So there's going to be some people that really want to wake up every morning knowing that they're making a difference there. And if you can play to that, then play to it. So that that feels extremely important. I guess the the additional question I'd ask here in our, our short interview today is around important points for keeping these very talented, very in-demand people engaged and thriving once they come on board. You know, most of our listeners operate in larger legacy enterprises, you know, hopefully some of them are spinning out some some fun punks and super freak sections like like you guys there. But but maybe not all of them are there yet. But in either case, yes, they've got to bring them on board. And you've shared some excellent insights about that. What have you really learned about what's critical for maintaining that engagement, that buy-in and, and getting these people to grow with you? So I think the first thing I would say is in exactly the same way as before about making a space, a home that feels like you can belong as a community of data scientists, you've got to protect that space. So data science by its very nature is experimental. And that means there's lots of failure in it, right? There's lots of, and that's as it should be. There should be lots of iterations. There should be lots of experimentation. There should be lots of of learning and, and development. But that means you've got to make the space, a safe space to work that way. It's got to be possible for your data science community to to make mistakes early and to learn from those mistakes without feeling like they have to hide them. Because if you don't create that psychological safety around the team, you run the risk of closing down experimentation too early. And then you will find that you've ended up kind of limiting the, the creative imagination, which is a really big part of how a good data science team works. And then the second thing I would say, a, a, alongside that psychological safety around the environment that you build, 
you also need to create some guide rails within which you allow a lot of freedom. And, and this is particularly true when you think about the kind of tools and, and software applications that your data science community might want to be using. Most of them will be wanting to use, you know, infrastructure stacks, software tools that, you know, perhaps the rest of your community has never even heard of. And so I think it's really important that you understand that that's going to be required and you get your IT function comfortable with the idea of being able to provide that managed space for the team to work in. Got it. So in terms of a, a lesson to take home for the listeners, a part of this is, number one, make sure that we're building a iteration and experimentation safe zone. And that, probably that's part of why you guys carved out a specific domain, you know, these data labs as opposed to you know just operating purely within a, a given business function. And the other is be very nimble about what kinds of tools and stacks you need and understand that if you're going to serve these people well and they're going to be able to, to really take advantage of their ninja skills, we're going to have to not just say, well, here's how we work in this ossified IT environment that you now are going to operate in. We have to be prepared to crack open those tools, find ways to integrate them, find ways to use the latest and greatest stuff and, and be prepared to have kind of, I guess, an IT and tech environment that absorbs that as well. Both of those are challenging within a larger existing enterprise. It, it feels to me, Carolyn, maybe you have a point note about this. You kind of serve this role right now. It seems to me like whoever is leading this group um, really needs to have an understanding of how AI is different than IT before they lead the group, because you're, you're bringing up the importance of experimentation. We've seen time and time again that unless people really understand how required it is and, and the calculated risk of, of iteration and of investing in AI in a, in a specific way, building on this like it's a capability, not like it's another plug and play IT tool, that mindset and philosophy, if it is absent, it is very, very hard to make things truly deployed and, and to keep real talent around. What, what's important for leaders to kind of exemplify to bring those important points you're talking about to life? Because I think a lot of people that don't know how AI is different than IT are not going to do what you just said. I suspect that that's probably true. I think what's important for leaders to exemplify is boldness and curiosity and humility all at the same time, which is quite an interesting challenge and a mix. Boldness because you need to carve the path for your for your AI team to be able to establish this experimentation zone that, that you've described, Dan. Curiosity because it's such a fast moving field that you need to be constantly exploring where it's going next and how it might get there. But humility, because similarly, you're never going to know all of it. And for the most part, as a leader of an AI team, your team is probably several orders of magnitude cleverer than you are. Yeah. And being able to, well, I guess, combine boldness with humility. So being bold about the vision, but you know, having as much humility as you can about really needing to draw ideas from people outside of yourself to make these big, complex projects come to life. Yeah, absolutely. Cool. All right. Well, I think those are worthwhile take-home points for our, our listeners who are tuned in, many of whom would like to be leaders of important and interesting projects. And no better person to learn from than you, Carolyn. So glad we were able to have you back on the show. Thank you so much for being with us. Thank you, Dan. It was great fun. So that's all for this episode of the AI and Business Podcast. Thanks so much for tuning in. I hope we'll catch you for the next two series, our last two Tuesdays 
in this year, 2022, we're going to be covering more episodes on success with AI teams, how to build successful teams, hire for successful teams, how to communicate within teams so that we can not only write code, but see things through to deployments and to return on investment. We have experts from both PwC and Qualcomm coming up in this series. One of these perspectives is more from the pure business side. The other is more on the technical side. Both are going to be essential and both will be worthwhile listens. So stay tuned here. Again, hope you enjoyed this episode. Big thank you to Carolyn for being able to join us again on the program. And I'll catch you on the next one here on the AI and Business Podcast.